utlradio.com episode 276 and on today's show disney's alligator liability legal q a and negotiation tips and strategies stay tuned order in the court because it's time for understanding the law radio Well, hi, and thanks for joining me for this episode of Understanding the Law Radio, presented by utlradio.com, your business and legal self-help resource center. Welcome back. Everyone who's a fan of the show, you know it's been a couple of months between episodes, and that's something that normally never, ever happened, um, but what we were doing over that period of time is going through a lot of the feedback and comments that we received. Um, And I want to thank all of you who submitted comments and suggestions, and we've taken all of what you had to say, and we've made this podcast, I think, something that you're really, really going to love. So for those of you who might remember, we were doing five-day-a-week broadcasts. Monday was news, Tuesday was legal Q&A, followed by Wednesday business uh, business Q&A. Thursday was an interview, and then Friday was the weekly wrap-up. And what we were being told by our listeners is that there was too much information coming at them, and they didn't have an opportunity. You guys weren't able to sort of digest all of the stuff that we were putting out there. And some of it was getting lost. And, And so what we've done is we've condensed everything into one show that's going to be broadcast once a week, and I think you're going to love it. So let me tell you um, how the format's going to go. So basically, we're going to start with segments. We're going to have a legal and business news segment, followed by a Q&A segment, and that's going to be either business or legal, depending upon uh, which question of, of yours we select for that week. And then a tips and strategy section that we're going to discuss things like Um, you know, maybe personal development or business issues or some specifics like how to draft a motion. So we're going to get into that in the tips and strategies section. And then on most episodes, we're going to do something that's, that's a little more fun and entertaining. And we're going to talk about either a book review, maybe a business book review, or we'll talk about a television show that involved the law or legal issue, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that and we'll have a little fun with it. So that's how the new show is going to be laid out. I'm really excited about it. I hope you are too. For those of you, again, who were fans of the show, welcome back and thank you for sticking around. If you're brand new to the show, give the show a chance because I think that the information that we are giving out can be very, very useful to you, whether you're a business owner, whether you are an employee, an entrepreneur, or you're just an individual with a family or without a family who wants to know more about the law and the legal system, and maybe you've got some questions that you want answered. That's what we're here for. You know, you can ask your questions in so many ways that I can't even list them all. We have an app that's free on both uh, the Android market and the iTunes store where you can ask questions from the app. You can ask through our website at utlradio.com. You can call, email, however you want to do it. There's just 
a lot of ways. So make sure that you put your questions out there. We'll select them. We'll get to them on an episode. All right, before we get going, I just want to thank today's sponsor, and today's show is sponsored by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks on the internet. Now, Audible is providing our listeners with an exclusive offer. It's a free audiobook. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash UTL radio and get your free audiobook. You can get books about business success, investing, personal development, and much more. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash UTL radio. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you're really feeling heroic, please make sure that you rate the podcast on iTunes. We're really trying to bring up our um, number of reviews on iTunes. So I'd appreciate it if you just Maybe leave a little review over there. And remember, you can always get more free business and legal information, including news, blog posts, downloads, checklists, and much more at our website, utlradio.com. And if you're interested in DIY legal videos, check out our YouTube page. There's links to the page on our website, utlradio.com. We right now have over 220 videos, uh, everything from business success and and development to specific legal issues like what's a motion to dismiss. So that's all on our YouTube channel. Now, again, you can ask your questions through any of our social media or internet-based platforms, or you can just call me at 973-949-3770. Or if you still like to have some tech uh, involvement, you can give me, shoot me an email. My email address is pl at p-j-l-e-s-q dot com. All right. So now we're going to jump into our first segment, which is legal and business news. But check this out. Business and legal news. That's right. We've got segment intros. I'm super excited about that. Very sad, right? All right, so today what I want to talk about is something that I've been um, interested in discussing for the last couple of weeks, but since obviously this show is just airing today, um, have not had the opportunity to talk about previously, and that is Disney World and its liability over the alligator attack. Now, you know, we've all heard the story. It's, it's horrific, and I can't even begin to understand what that family must be feeling uh, to lose a two-year-old to an alligator. I mean, it was, uh, I just can't even wrap my head around it. But for those of you who um, live in a hole and don't know what I'm talking about, at Disney World in Orlando, there is a lake, Bay Lake, And around it are these very exclusive resort hotels, um, and there's a beachfront. And this this family with this two-year-old was staying at the Grand Floridian, and they were down on the beach area, and the boy was, you know, in the water a little bit, and an alligator came out of the water, dragged him in, the father tried to save him, and unfortunately the boy ultimately drowned. Um, and it, it's just so unbelievable because I am a huge fan of Disney. Uh, I had my honeymoon there. We take our kids there, you know, at least once a year if we can. 
And in all the times that I've been there, I don't know whether it was just me being foolish or something that, I don't know, just, I never thought that there were alligators in that Bay Lake area. Now, I know about the alligator population in Florida, and I know that you could be driving down a highway and have a little pool of water on the side of the road, and there could be an alligator in. I know that. I've seen that. But for some reason, and maybe it's because of the man-made nature of Bay Lake or the way that Disney um, has a hand in overseeing everything that goes on within its park, I just assume that it was something that was maybe um, you know cleaned out every day. Maybe they ran some kind of netting on the bottom of the lake to scoop up hats or Mickey dolls or things that might have fallen overboard from one of the boats. I don't know, but I just never, it never dawned on me. And it's funny because last summer I took my kids down to that area because I wanted to see some of the renovations that had been done at the Polynesian. And we were on that same beach very close to the water. Um, and it never dawned on me that there'd be alligators in that water. Now, I have to tell you that there were no swimming signs, but you'll see how I feel about that as we get into this discussion. So let's jump into this legal analysis. So the question becomes, is Disney responsible for the death of this this boy because of an alligator? And I've seen a lot of stuff online that's very, very misleading and, dare I say, inaccurate. And it all deals with the fact that there is a a well-established law. I think it actually dates back to the Roman Empire. So we're talking about, you know, a, a pretty old law that talks about a landowner having no liability for injuries that occur on his or her property due to an indigenous wild animal. Okay, so in other words, if I invite you over to my house for a barbecue on the 4th of July and while you're sitting there chowing down a squirrel, because I have squirrels, jumps up onto your chair and claws out your eye with his little tiny claw squirrel hands. You can't sue me because I a didn't bring that squirrel onto my property. He's indigenous. I had no control over that squirrel, had no reason to know that that squirrel was an eye scratcher. And therefore, you know, it's like almost like an act of God in a way. And I, I, I can't be held liable for it, even though you're on my property. Now, a lot of um, anti, I don't know what you'd call it, um, or pro-Disney people that I've seen on the Internet. It's very funny because it's very polarizing. Some of the comments that I've read online clearly are in favor of this family and, you know, sympathy and, you know, it wasn't their fault. But then there's this this group of people on the Internet that are saying all kinds of, some of it horrible, but um, things like, why would you let your kid go in the water? Clearly said no swimming. You know, it's your fault. You shouldn't have, have, have taken your eyes off your kid. I, you know, look, I know parents have a duty and obligation to take care of their kids, but I can't. I can't believe that in this particular instance that this family was negligent. We'll get into that in a second. But going back to this doctrine of 
um, established law concerning the uh, freedom from liability for attacks of wild animals. A lot of these people that are saying it's the parents' fault are trying to apply this law that says, you know, that the alligator being indigenous to Florida and a wild animal and attacked all on its own, that Disney should have no responsibility, no liability for this accident. Now, I have a hard time with this because of other legal doctrines that come into play, particularly the laws concerning negligence. Now, you know, the fact that you're not typically held liable for the actions of a wild animal they don't, it's, it's not like it's, it's an absolute, um, if a wild animal attacks you, I'm never responsible. It's a liability issue based upon negligence. And if there are overriding or superseding factors that come into play where you as the landowner have acted unreasonably, for example, in my 4th of July story, if I knew that this squirrel that lived in my backyard was an eye scratcher because he scratched other people's eyes, I might have a duty to warn you, hey, you know, the squirrel back there, you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle, well, not Bullwinkle, but Rocky, I guess, he's crazy. He's an eye scratcher. I might have that duty to warn you. But um, that shows sort of a heightened sense of, of duty in this negligence analysis. So, in other words, Disney might have had a duty of care if they knew that alligators were in that water and they did not take reasonable steps to alert or protect the invitees, the guests, onto its property. And even though there's this doctrine of wild animals, you're not responsible, if you know that there are wild animals in an area populated by unsuspecting tourists. And you might say to me, well, what do you mean unsuspecting? Florida and alligators are synonymous. Yeah, but you know what? You take a family from Germany or someone from Canada, they might not know that there's alligators in that water. It's just, it's, you can't go and say that everybody knows alligators are in Florida. Yes, but even though I know alligators are in Florida... I didn't realize that there were alligators in Disney World. So Disney, if they knew or should have known about the existence of the alligators on their property and then did nothing to warn or protect guests, they will be liable. Okay, so let's look more specifically here at the facts. Did they know? Well, over this past weekend, I watched a number of YouTube videos where guests were showing either cast members fighting off alligators. There was one video that I'm sure you guys have seen where there's a cast member trying to keep an alligator at bay right next to people riding Splash Mountain, okay? So that in and of itself says to me that they knew or should have known about the existence of alligators. But then there was a number of other videos of guests feeding alligators, Um, You know, some of the guests in the video said that we told guest services or we told a cast member. So I think as far as knowing or should have known, I think that that is is a definite. I think Disney knew or should have known about the existence of alligators on their property 
based primarily upon the fact that they had to deal with them in other scenarios and situations. Now, you know, did they take steps to reasonably protect patrons, guests, people staying on their property? You can argue it, but I'm going to say no, because I have seen those signs on the beach. And in fact, a lot of the older advertising materials, marketing materials that Disney has put out, they actually show a couple walking hand in hand with their feet in the water, walking on that same beach in front of the Grand Floridian. There are beach chairs on the sand, and there, up until obviously this incident occurred, there was no fencing whatsoever. There was a sign that said, do not swim. Now, I looked at that sign when I was down there, and I said, do not swim. Of course not, because of all the chemicals that are coming off of these motorboats that are in the water. There's a big, you know, there's two actually two big paddle boats or steamboats or something that transport guests back and forth from the parking lot area to the Magic Kingdom. And then you can rent all these pontoons and little small motorboats. I wouldn't go in that water just because of the contamination that must exist in there. But that's what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking because I'm going to lose my life to an alligator, right? But, um, you know, that's the only signage that was up there. So for me, seeing the sign, don't swim, I didn't put two and two together and say, don't swim because there's alligators in here. I said, don't swim because I don't want to come out of that water with three eyes. So I think that as far as their their duty to protect, I think that they failed miserably because, again, um, if you believe what I'm saying about them knowing or should have known about the existence of alligators, then they had a duty to protect their guests and putting up a no swimming sign didn't do it. Now, I think this might be a different story if there was a sign that says don't go in the water because there may be alligators in it. That, I think, is a completely different analysis. I might even go so far as to say that Disney World has limited, if, you know, maybe no liability whatsoever if they had had those signs. And they didn't. They didn't. And I think that anyone out there who wants to suggest that it was the parents' fault, maybe you haven't really been down on that that beach and, and or seen the marketing materials the, you know, um, marshmallow roasts, and they invite people down to that area of the beach. It's a pretty area. People take pictures. There's swings. There's, there's chairs. There's, there's whatever. Doesn't say to me, hey, stay away because there's alligators. It says, hey, come on down and just don't swim because, you know, well, we're not going to tell you why, but just don't swim. And then we're left to assume. And I think that's what happened here and so my analysis of this this issue uh, is that Disney is or should be held liable as much as I'm a Disney fan I unfortunately think that in this instance they owed a duty they breached that duty obviously you know somebody died I think there'll be a wrongful death suit and I think that they could be made to pay millions, millions of dollars for this. And um, obviously, they immediately put up signage about alligators and snakes in the water. They, uh, from what I understand, I saw them constructing a barrier 
uh, a fence around the lake. Um, now, for those of you who say, wait, I have a question for you. Does the fact that they put up this fencing and put up these signs after the incident occurred, does that prove liability? Is that an admission of guilt on their part? And the answer to that question is no, because that is called a subsequent remedial measure, which is something that is not allowed to be introduced into evidence to prove liability. Right? This is a trial issue, um, but subsequent remedial measures, when you fix something, right? if somebody falls down your stairs in your house because you had a broken stair and then you fix it, can that person say, of course it was your fault because as soon as I fell, you ran out and fixed the stairs. No, not to prove liability. You know, we're going to get technical for a second because there is an opportunity to bring a subsequent, subsequent remedial measure into evidence, but it's really to show that something was feasible. So let's assume for a second Disney argues, oh, we couldn't have put up a fence. There was no way we could have done it. And then they... Uh, the plaintiffs say, well, wait a minute, you did it after the fact. Now, that evidence could come in because it's not being uh, introduced to prove liability necessarily. It's being introduced to show feasibility, that they could have done it. So it's an interesting issue and an interesting point, but um, the fact that they put up this this fencing um, and the signage following the incident does not mean that now... The plaintiffs, once they become plaintiffs, and again, we're all assuming because no lawsuit um, has been filed, at least not yet, um, that subsequent remedial measure will not be able to be introduced into evidence. So very interesting question, and I'd like to follow up on this in, um, you know, the next couple of weeks, see what develops. Um, Certainly, I'm looking to see if this lawsuit is filed, but... uh, Interesting, interesting. And if you've got questions that you want to, you know, maybe delve into a little bit, ask. If you want to talk about this topic a little bit more, you know, reach out, contact me. I'd be happy to discuss it with you privately or, um, you know, on the show because it is a very interesting topic. And, um, you know, I've seen so much misinformation on the Internet. I mean, I guess that's par for the course, but. All right, so that's going to wrap up our discussion on this issue with Disney. I would love to know, again, um, if this alligator incident has changed any of your minds about either going to Disney or, you know, were you ever aware that there were alligators in Disney? I'd love to know what you have to say about that. All right, we're going to move along to our next segment, which is going to be business and legal Q&A. Business and Legal Q&A. All right, so today's question comes from Joanne from Dallas, and Joanne wants to know, is it possible for a pro se plaintiff, that's somebody that's representing themselves, not an attorney, um, is it possible for a pro se plaintiff to negotiate her own settlement, or should I hire an attorney for this limited purpose? All right, this is an interesting question. So, Apparently, Joanne is pro se, meaning she's representing herself in a legal matter. And she's at a point here where there is the, the potential, the possibility of negotiating a settlement. And she wants to know if uh, she needs to hire a lawyer for that. 
So let me start off by saying that um, there are legal matters, and, and you've heard me say this on this show many times before. There are legal matters that you can absolutely handle by yourself. You don't need an attorney to do it. You know, you can get a little guidance. You can use some of the resources that you might find on utlradio.com, and you can honestly successfully represent yourself. There are times when you don't want to represent yourself, right? It's not a good idea. It's too personal or um, just just not appropriate to represent yourself in certain matters. So, you know, here with negotiating a settlement, is it possible to represent yourself? I'm going to say yes if you are the right personality and you have some skill can you know when when it comes to negotiation and uh, what we're going to do after this this question our next segment we're going to actually talk about some uh strategy and and tips for successful negotiations whether it's in your personal life business or for a legal matter Um, but getting back to joanne for a second you know, sometimes when you negotiate directly with another attorney, and I'm assuming that the other side has an attorney, you might be at a slight disadvantage for two reasons. The first reason is that that attorney has probably negotiated more deals and settlements than you have. Secondly, you are going to be working off of a lot of emotion. And I think sometimes attorneys who are going up against a pro se plaintiff, they know that, and they almost do things on purpose, some of them, um, to fluster you. Uh, Maybe they'll say things to you about the quality of your case, and another attorney hearing that might just blow it off and say, yeah, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter what you say to me. I believe in my case. But sometimes with a pro se litigant, you know, somebody representing themselves, they hear that and they're like, oh, maybe I don't have a good case. He's an attorney and I'm not and he's telling me my case is no good. Maybe I maybe I should just settle for whatever he's going to give me. So that's, you know, a potential problem. And the other issue is that there's no buffer. There's no way to say to the other attorney, hold on, I've got to convey that offer to my client. And then, you know, buys you some time, there's a discussion between you and your attorney, and ultimately you can make a decision as to whether you want to counter or accept the offer or reject it completely. So, you know, tough question really to pin down and say yes or no. I would say yes if you're the right personality and if you understand some of the basics of negotiation. So listen to the next segment so that you can pick some of those up. If you're somebody who is super emotional and gets very angry or upset or flustered or nervous or cries, then it might make sense to bring in an attorney to help you negotiate the settlement. Now, if it is some some sort of large money liability issue, right, where we're talking about 25, 30, 40, 50, you know, thousand dollars or upwards, and you've got a lot to lose here then it might make sense to retain an attorney for the limited purpose, like you said, of representing you in the negotiations. You don't have to make that attorney necessarily attorney of record. You'd hire that attorney for a limited scope engagement, and that would be for the purposes of helping you negotiate a settlement.
So the answer to the question, a little complex, a little, little, little gray, but yes, if you're the right person, you have a little bit of know-how, know if you're overly emotional or if you don't really know what you're doing. Okay, so Joanne, thank you for your question, and I wish you the best of luck with this. If you do have additional questions, please give me a call, 973-949-3770. I'd be happy to talk to you privately about some of that. Um, All right, so let's jump over then and and kind of piggyback off of Joanne's question, and we'll go into our next segment, which is the legal tips and DIY. Business and legal tips and DIY. All right, so let's stay with this negotiation theme, and let's see if we can help Joanne out a bit um, by talking about negotiations, okay? So first of all, let me just say this. Whether you like to negotiate or not, you as a human being in this country, you probably negotiate all the time. You negotiate with your spouse, your parents, the car dealer, you know, the mechanic, the home improvement contractor, your own kids. We're always negotiating, but you might not, you know, think of it in the same way when you're dealing with family. But we're always negotiating. And Unfortunately, you know, if you don't like to negotiate, you have to come to grips with the fact that if you want something badly enough, there's going to be a good chance that at some point in your life you're going to have to negotiate. I know people that would rather, you know, give everything away and walk away from the situation because it's so uncomfortable. They'd rather not negotiate, but that doesn't help you get what you want. And and so... Let's go through some of these tips and strategy suggestions and see if we can help you become a better negotiator. So number one on the list, and by the way, if you're interested in reading uh, more about this, you can go to utlradio.com or to our legal site, which is pjlesq.com, and click on the blog, and you can read the entire blog post that I put up today about this topic, give you a little bit more detail. But let's start with number one. You've got to know your outcome. Would you ever go on a road trip where you didn't know where you were going? I mean, would you just drive around aimlessly and have no idea where you're supposed to end up? Of course not. Um, So it's the same thing here with negotiations. When you go into a negotiation situation, it's really important that you know what you want. What is your desired outcome? Understand you might not achieve that desired outcome, but you got to know what you want. If you're going to negotiate with a home improvement contractor who's coming to your house and he was going to do work uh, and you believe that he's, he's charging you too much money, you want to negotiate that price down because you like him, you just don't like his price, you've got to know what you want out of this negotiation. You have to know that your goal is to reduce his price. Only if you know the outcome are you ever going to have a chance of being successful. Sometimes, you know, people will get into contract or legal situations and they'll start negotiating and it's like, what do you want? And they don't even know what they want. And that's where, going back to Joanne's question in the legal Q&A segment, If you are the kind of person that does not know what you want out of this, you know, settlement or this negotiation, then, yeah, you need somebody to help you, you know. And even at that point, 
They're going to say to you, you've got to figure out what you want. They're, even an attorney, we can't tell you what you want, right? We don't know what you want or what you're comfortable with. You have to know. So number one is to know what you want the outcome to be. Number two is to open your negotiations as friendly as possible. Now, listen, I have been through thousands of negotiations, and I know how quickly things deteriorate from, you know, bad to worse. Uh, I've been in situations where I've been dealing with an attorney throughout the course of the case, and the attorney and I just do not get along. He's a jerk, or maybe he thinks I'm a jerk. I don't know. We don't get along at all. We've had arguments. Things are not going well. And we get to the point where we have to reach a settlement on behalf of our clients. Our clients want us to try to resolve this, or maybe the court is saying to us, come on in and try to resolve this. And we've got to put our differences aside to sit down and do what's right for our client. So even in situations like that, I try to open up the negotiations on a friendly manner. So maybe, for example, I'll say something to somebody like this attorney that that doesn't like me or we don't get along. Listen, I know we've had our differences in the past, but we're here for the you know, benefit of our clients. I think we can work this out. Why don't we just, you know, let's let's do our best and try it. And sometimes if I'm really feeling funny, um, maybe I'll say to them, and if we settle it, you'll never have to talk to me again. You know, you get a little chuckle. And just if you come in angry and hardcore and, I mean, you're going to turn people off. and People might not want to do anything with you negotiation-wise. They might just be like, oh, my God, what is wrong with this person? You know, you're like, Guns blazing on a negotiation. That's not how you do it. I'll give you another example. If you are going to be negotiating with, let's say, a home improvement contractor, you know, a nice way to start off the negotiation is, hey, listen, I really like the plans that you have for the, the you know, um, addition to the house, and I really want to work with you. I just have a couple of issues and maybe a question with, with your pricing. And, you know, you know, you're setting the guy up where he feels good because he knows that you're interested in him and you might want to hire him. And chances are you do want to hire him, but, you know, there's a pricing issue and maybe he'll work with you. If you go in and say, you know what, this is this price is ridiculous, it puts that person on the defensive and right away they're not going to want to negotiate with you. They're going to want to say, hey, go jump off a bridge. This is my price. Too bad. And that's that. So I always try to start off negotiations as friendly as possible. All right. Number three, listen to the other side. Don't just hear them. Listen. I, I like to say that, you know, the old 80-20 rule? You know, there's that book, the 80-20 rule? Well, in this instance, in negotiations, I like to employ the 80-20 rule when it comes to listening. I typically try to listen 80% of the time and talk only 20% of the time. By listening, I can get a better sense of what it is my adversary is looking for, what the weaknesses or holes in their argument are, what their pressure points are, you know, what they're willing to give up, and and just get a general sense of how we can make this work by listening to the other side. Most of my successful negotiations have come because I've listened to the other side. And, And a lot of times when you're trying to negotiate something, you know, you just want to get your point across. You want to say what you want to say, and you're not really, really listening to what they're saying. You're hearing their words, but you're not listening. So make sure you listen to the other side. Number four, be prepared. I, I can't say this enough. 
be prepared. How many times have I gone into a negotiation with somebody and I'm amazed to find out that they're talking about things that are not based in any fact and when I ask them to support the argument with a fact, they can't. They have no idea what they're talking about. And it's because they weren't prepared. If you want to be successful at any type of negotiations, make sure that you are prepared. Know your facts. Know what you want. Know your desired outcome. Know what you think. I mean, have, have an idea of what you think the other side's going to argue against your position. Have an idea of what you think the other side wants. Be prepared. Number five, start reasonably high, but be willing to move. And you know what the key word here is? Reasonably. I've gone into negotiations and I've seen people that come in and, you know, they they believe in starting high. So they're, you know, going to have this minor um, broken finger and they're going to say million dollars. I'm starting high, million dollars. And it's like, okay, well, we're so far apart because I know that the value of a broken finger is not even $100,000. And so you're coming in with a million. I'm at, you know, like five. So we're never going to make this happen. And I just shut down. We're done. I'm going to go. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste yours. If you start too high, unreasonably high, you're going to just end up shutting down the negotiation if you come in with a reasonably high number same thing let's say we say the value of the broken finger is five thousand and let's say that this guy comes in and says listen um, i'm, I'm going to ask for 30 all right well you know 30 is not unreasonable it's high but it's not unreasonable and i can work with 30 because i could say listen i've got five I could probably give you 7500 but you've got to come down and whatever, whatever. You know, you negotiate it that way. Um, but being unreasonably high is going to get you nowhere, and it's going to end your negotiation really before it even gets started. Number six, point out reality. This is a tip that I use all the time. I make sure that I tell my adversary, the person I'm negotiating with, what the reality of the situation is. So, for example, recently I had a case where the I was defending somebody, the plaintiff, did not have a slam dunk case. There were a lot of little issues with the case. And so, you know, I said to the uh, my adversary in the negotiations, listen, I know your client strongly believes in their case. I also know your client doesn't want to go to trial. And here's what I see as being wrong with your case, and this is the issue that I'm going to exploit at trial. And, you know, your client could walk away with nothing. That, that's a fact. I'm not, I'm not BSing somebody. That's a fact. But, you know, my client's willing to settle this with you, and they're willing to give your client X, and that's money in her hand. So, you know, you've got to be cognizant of that fact that she could walk away, a jury could listen to this story, and have as much difficulty in believing it as I do and walk away with nothing. So what do you want to do? Because you walk away with nothing, you know, you're going to look bad. She's going to be unhappy. You know, you're walking away from money that you're probably not even entitled to. So I like to point out the reality of the situation. I think that helps. Number seven, be patient. Don't jump the gun. Wait so many 
so many times I've seen pro se litigants get the first offer at a, a, a negotiation and jump on it, take it. And, and then, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, you could have had X amount of money. I'll give you an example. Had a client that said, um, you know, look, you're authorized to settle this case for up to, I don't know, I think it was $50,000, something like that, $75,000, up to that amount. And the plaintiff, who was pro se, had no patience, none. And ultimately, I started with low, right? Because as if I'm going to negotiate and I'm going to try to settle a case where I'm the defendant, I'm not going to start high. I'm going to start low. It's 25000 They were like, okay, done. And they could have had a lot more. But, you know, it's a matter of being patient. Um, and... There's a couple of other points I think you should know about. And, you know, if you want to know more about them, just check out our blog post over at uh, either utlradio.com or on our legal site, pjllawesq.com, and you can read the rest of the blog post. I'm also going to put it up on Facebook, uh, on the UTL Radio page on Facebook, as well as on Twitter, so you can check that out there. All right, well, you know what? I think that's going to uh, do it for today. I don't want to overwhelm you on the first day back. Um, I'm very excited with this new format. Hopefully you guys like it as well. I'd love to hear your, your comments and give you some feedback. Let me know if you think this is going to work. I have to admit today's show is a little bit rough. It's not what, what I like to do. It's been a while, and uh, working with this new format, trying to work out the kinks, it's going to take me a couple weeks, I think, to get back in the swing of things but hopefully it wasn't too bad um, and if you did find some of this interesting then I'd really encourage you to a make sure you subscribe and then let other people know about it because you know that's the only way that the show can um, can can keep going on is if people are listening and I need people like you guys the, the existing listeners to let other people know about this podcast and and to say hey look it's worth a listen check it out you're gonna learn something um, and hopefully as we get into the next couple of weeks, the next couple of shows, once I get the format down, we're going to have a lot more fun. We're going to have an opportunity to put in, I think, some some uh, more entertaining things towards the end of the show. And I'm going to try to keep the show um, approximately an hour. Let's see. We're, we're closing in on 45 minutes now. I'm going to try to keep the show at a reasonable um, you know, length so that... You can listen to it because there's nothing worse than seeing a show that's like an hour and a half. And you're like, where am I going to find an hour and a half to listen to this show? So uh, I'm going to be mindful of that. And hopefully that helps you guys out, helps you to listen to the show more frequently. Um, and, uh, you know, let me know because it's your feedback and comments that helped me to get to the point where I was realizing, all right, we're doing too much. We need to scale it back a bit so people can kind of digest the content that we're putting out. So. That's going to do it. All right. Well, listen, uh, everyone, thank you for sticking around. Thank you for those of you who have never listened to the show before. Make sure that you check out utlradio.com. And if you've got, uh, you know, more legal type issues, you can check out our website, pjlesq.com. And I'm going to mention to you briefly about our new Turn to Legal program. It's Turn, the number two, Legal Turn to legal, uh, it's it's really actually quite 
a good program. Um, for less than what you pay an attorney for one hour of time, if you're a business or individual, you can sign up for a monthly subscription. Um, we're talking like $25 a month for individuals, and I think the cost is $49 a month for businesses. And you get a whole host of legal services. You're dealing directly with one attorney. It's, it's really a, a good program. So you can check that out either at turn, the number two legal.com or at our website, pjlesq.com. So check that out as well. All right, everybody have a wonderful 4th of July, which is happening on Monday. We will be back next Thursday with uh, hopefully a, a more structured, less, you know, jumpy show. I apologize. Like I said, it's, it's, going to take me a couple weeks to get back into things and to get used to this new format um the transitions and, and whatever so hopefully you know it wasn't too bad and and you know you like it so please let me know what you guys think have a great weekend a great fourth of july don't play with fireworks because you can blow your hand off and i will see you back here next thursday hopefully i'll see you checking in online at utlradio.com court is adjourned Thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. For more information about the show or to take advantage of our legal and business self-help resources, please check out utlradio.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please don't forget to review this episode on iTunes and to share this podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues and let them know about utlradio.com your business success and legal information station. Up to 70% off. That's right. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.